Okay, so we are back with another episode. I think we're up to number five, if I'm not mistaken. Altmed app number five. Yeah, so Mitch Kurtz here with my co-host um, or sidekick, Andrew Dowling. Um, sidekick. It's actually, yeah, sidekick, I'm pretty sure that's it. <laughs> Um, this is a, an interesting one. We're going to talk about a quite a topical issue, which is cannabis and drug driving and how that is kind of working at the moment in Australia. And thankfully we have Andrew here with his long history of legal and regulatory background in, especially in, well, especially in, I would want to say cars and vehicle space, but also, um, in cannabis. So. Seems quite uh, the intersection for you at the moment. Thanks, Mitch. I thought you were going to say, and his long history of drug driving offences, but... Um, I actually, the pause that I made was just to make sure that I didn't say that part. I didn't want to <laughs> Excellent. Well, and for anyone listening, I do have a clean sheet in that regard. Um, Never been caught. <laughs> I tell a lie. Um, well... No, I don't tell a lie. Like, you have never been caught, but, like, I'm not trying Yeah. <laughs> No, you were right to say it's um it is it's very topical because and I looked this up before on the 14th of October 2020 um so just recently the Victorian parliament um passed legislation which will see Victoria become the first state in Australia to allow um those who uh, taking med- medical cannabis who have a prescription and who aren't impaired um, to drive. So very, very big breakthrough moment. And similarly to when Victoria led the way with access to medicinal cannabis way back in 2016, um, we can expect to see the other states and territories follow suit here. And I think that was kind of driven this, this new initiative by your mate, Fiona Patton. Yes, uh, those who know me know um, I'm a very big fan of Fiona Patton, um, who is a member of the Upper House in the Victorian Parliament. Um, she's a very progressive uh, in the eyes of some in, in areas of, of drug reform. But um, yeah, it's really another sensible policy um, that, that she has done a lot of the, the heavy lifting to, to bring about. And um, yeah, it, it's it's been years and years in the making because i think you know the historical context is really just that for for so many years um you know cannabis was and those having um you know a valid prescription for medical cannabis um still were unable to drive even though they weren't impaired whereas um those who had say um prescriptions for some heavy duty drugs like opioids um and, and benzos and the like, you know, they, they were being treated differently and, and were allowed um, to continue driving. Um, so yeah, very big win for her, another one. And, uh, and look, we still don't have a date that these laws are going to be implemented, but it's expected to be early this year, 2021. So exciting times ahead. Speaking of benzos, I think you, you kind of had an experience with that recently, didn't you? Yeah, opioids actually. So I, um, yeah, that's true. I, I had some shoulder surgery and um, got a prescription for Endone to manage the uh, the pain. And 
you know, as someone who hasn't really ever taken opioid medicines, th this one really threw me around quite a bit. And I, I kept thinking, you know, imagine people driving under the influence of this particular substance. Now, admittedly, the starting point for all drug driving laws is that you're not meant to drive um, whilst you're in an impaired state. Um, but, you know, for, for years, there, there certainly would have been motorists who are being prescribed the, these strong painkillers um, who subject to their levels of impairment were permitted to, to drive on our roads. And, and I think that um, it's a bit of a terrifying thought for all motorists. Um, but look, I, I, I think the, the, yeah, the common thread here is impairment. So as a starting point, you as the driver should know, um, you know, whether or not you should be getting behind the wheel. Um, but really all these laws do is they say, if you do get behind the wheel and you are being prescribed medical cannabis and you have a script and you feel okay, you're not impaired, then, then you can drive. Um, so it's really a leveling of the playing field to bring cannabis into the same treatment under the law as, as you know, those heavy duty prescription drugs that I've just described. And I think it's also good. We're kind of opening up the conversation now for comparisons with alcohol in that there's a blood alcohol limit for alcohol or everyone knows at least in Victoria 0.05, I think it's actually higher in other States, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but, um, but in terms of having some kind of marker like that, and obviously that'll require more testing and, and more clinical um, kind of justification, but having a, a kind of threshold, that, that uh, we deem. And we're really talking about THC uh, when we're talking about cannabis impairment. Um, I mean, there are other cannabinoids, there's CBD, CBG, other you know, cannabinoids at work, but the one that they're testing for and the one that is really has the causal relationship with impairment where we're talking about THC here. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's only THC as, as far as I'm aware that is tested at the, the roadside drug testing so they'll test for the presence of amphetamine so ecstasy they'll test for for thc and that's because thc is the psychoactive cannabinoid in cannabis so it's seen as the um the part of the plant that will have the the greatest propensity to impair your driving um, it's currently legal to drive um, if you've got cbd in your system um, because it's non-psychoactive. Um, is it but, legal, actually? Yeah, it, it is. It is. Um, but, uh, but THC, uh, not so. And, you know, the difficulty there is that um, there are a myriad of, of, you know, medical cannabis products that contain THC. In fact, it's unless you're taking, say, a CBD isolate in oil or you're taking a, a broad spectrum product, um, you're going to have THC in your medicine. Um, now, this, of course, um, these changes won't provide any relief to people who are sourcing from the black market um, because part of the defense um, that will be available to those who are on medical cannabis will, will be this requirement that you have to have a prescription. So you will need to be able to evidence the fact that, that you have a script. So um, unfortunately for people who are sourcing um, THC products or products with THC in them from uh, the black market, um, there's still little relief. And I, I think this is where looking abroad at 
perhaps what is happening in in other jurisdictions around the world um it, it might be the way that uh, that australia goes I, I briefly saw in an article i was looking at that in the us and canada um or some states in the us and and in canada they're looking at um introducing to your point mitch that sort of blood alcohol um type of system for for cannabis and if that were the case then i i guess it would be potentially relevant whether or not you had um, a script or not for for that product but um but that's one one direction that um that it might eventually go in it's interesting you talking about the the black market um not being applicable i've heard from doctors uh, a few a bit of feedback that in some cases there's patients who come to them looking for a script for medicinal cannabis who then go and purchase black market cannabis that are looking for that kind of, oh, but the doctor's given me, you know, a kind of the, the permit here um, as a type of defense, which is still not actually permissible as far as I understand in, in the current state, but it's an interesting um, scenario. How do you, do you think there's any way they can account for that type of scenario? Like, they could- okay. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting point. So, in other words, if you hold the valid prescription, but you're sourcing products from the black market, um, look, as uh, hard to tell from it, it would be, and I, I would think that just on the face of it, if you have the prescription, any level of THC, you know, is is explainable or attributable to that prescription. Um, but it's a, yeah, it's an interesting interesting point in terms of working out the mechanics of, of how they, this will all sort of play out. But, um, but I think there's, um, you know, there's, there's factors for people to consider, which, you know, are exactly the same as I guess the psychoactive um, impact that, that alcohol has on, on we as, as drivers. So, you know, it, it's not necessarily just a case of saying, right, well, I've had, um, you know, this amount of THC it's worth remembering you know did you have it on an empty stomach or you know did how long has it been since you consumed it um are you a new driver or are you a relatively experienced driver that these sorts of things did you have it was it you know inhaled was it an oil that kind of stuff yeah for sure because you know it's it's is a little bit easier with alcohol you know that you got two standard drinks for the first hour relative to your body weight and then one every is as a rough guide it might be a bit more difficult when you have such differentiation in products where also the the method of of the, the pharmacokinetics pharmacodynamics affect things differently depending on if you're having an oil product that you've ingested versus you know, whether a, a vaporized product or something you're smoking. Mm. So that's, that's, it's very interesting. Yeah. We, I mean, we know that the, the, the inhaled forms, you've got about a three to four hour window before you kind of would cons- even consider um, looking at, uh, at a car or, <laughs> you know, getting into one. And then, but then, you know, with, with an oil type product, you'd probably be at least wanting to wait maybe eight hours or more, depending on the dose and depending on, your body weight and depending on how you're affected by it. And yeah. Kind of- and, and that is to say that, you know, for cannabis um, as well as, you know, alcohol or, or those heavy duty prescription drugs, really, you know, we've all been, we've all been out with friends and had a few drinks and, and then sort of thought, Oh, do I leave the car here or do I drive home? You know, that 
it's really worth having a sense of, you know, how impaired am I? And, and really, if you have any doubts whatsoever, you just should not be getting behind the wheel uh, in the first instance, um, regardless that, of whether or not. What's that that? Only car for years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, I've just, I've never thought to pick it up. It's, it's been sitting outside that pub all these years. <laughs> um, no, but I, you, you know, I, I think that people really need to sort of exercise judgment because, you know, the way that these uh, changes might be rolled out, you might have the protection of a prescription and, and everything like that, and maybe even a, a letter from your doctor. Um, but, you know, you're effectively putting yourself at, at risk of, crashing your car if you, if you get into it and you're you're under the influence so i guess that's i my message is these these laws are great because they're going to prevent people who you know are validly being treated by their doctor with a with a medicine hopefully one that works but uh, and they shouldn't shouldn't be sort of arbitrarily punished in in a way that those who are on the heavy duty opioid and, and benzos aren't but you know the the common sense approach is you know don't get behind the wheel if you're impaired um you know i I can only imagine if i were taking a you know a strong thc medicine that i'd probably be on the monash freeway doing 18 k's an hour um so you say that that because that's that's really one of the funny things about i think that differentiates thc or cannabis from alcohol like when you when when you're drinking sometimes you don't it's harder to notice that you are impaired i think the nature of medicinal cannabis cannabis in general is that the actual user or patient under has more of comprehension that they're impaired i think it's it's much more you're much more aware of the, the impairment and you almost compensate for that you you know drive slowly or extra cautiously or you know, super careful to make sure yeah. you see you see roadwork sirens up ahead and you think it's the cops. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you slow down and park on the side of the road. Um so I've heard. Um but the um yeah no it's it's definitely it's definitely a very I think it has a nuanced uh a, a nuanced uh, kind of point of difference to alcohol in that sense. And, and definitely probably, and, and of course amphetamines as well. We we should actually you know something I'd like to endeavor to do is have a part two to this conversation where we get someone that knows the science behind how different substances impact our driving performance and we can maybe um you know have a have a discussion further on this point because i think it's quite interesting i think you're going to try and get a few different people to take different substances and line them up (laughs) yeah we're going to run a um, a clinical trial where (laughs) you'll all be given an 18 wheeler truck and uh (laughs) i think you'll get a you might get a higher participation uh uh kind of buy-in from the public than maybe potentially some other ones in Australia, at least. Did you um, say higher participation? Exactly. Oh, you meant, sorry, you meant greater. Yeah, yeah, I see. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think one of the main things with, with THC is is we know that the the, the attention is um, definitely not there for, for patients who are, you know, definitely uh, under the influence of THC. There's, there's definitely a divided attention. They're not as focused on on the road or, or they're, they're easily distracted, let's say. And I think that's one of the points that is, is most dangerous about, about driving under the influence. And I, I think that is a very valid reason to have THC as a controlled 
control when you're from the perspective of, of driving to, to safeguard both the driver and others on the road, which everybody has the right to kind of be protected from that, I think. Absolutely. So, I, you know, and I think this is, you know, Fiona Patton's efforts here. Um, and I am singling her out, even though there are, I'm sure, many others that form part of the, the lobbying effort that went into it. But she really has been the face of it. And I think it's a, it is a common sense um, uh, advancement for people who are getting a prescription for medical cannabis. But as I say, I, I think ultimately, you know, if you feel that your driving performance is or could be impaired, you know, you, you really just shouldn't be, even if you have that, that protection, because yeah, to your point, everyone, um, you know, the, the drug, we need to have robust drug driving laws that protect us from people who through levels of psychoactivity that either distract or impair their driving, um, make that driver a threat or, or, pose harm to to all other motorists on the road so yeah i think it's i think it's a sensible approach and as i said at the start of of this episode i think we'll now see other states and territories follow suit um and perhaps the introduction of um you know blood alcohol style limits for um for cannabis and for thc specifically and i think you know I, after speaking to a lot of people i, I feel like most people who do take some form of THC um, as a patient, they tend to stick to, if I'm having THC that day, I don't drive at all that day. I think it's just a safer approach in general. I'm, I'm kind of for that. Um, as it currently stands, there is no exemption for medical cannabis for THC in any state. Um, so if you're pulled over, then you know you have to pass that test and that could be saliva. It could be, it's found in the saliva, it's found in the blood, it's found in the urine. I believe. And so, you know, you're really, you know, not just putting people at risk and yourself, but you're at the mercy of the, the law. And that's, so we, we've all had that moment where you <laughs> get pulled over by the police. You haven't even had a drink, but you're scared that you'll blow <laughs> on the, on the, on the, well, I, I don't mind embarrassing my twin brother um, at the best of times, but um, we were once down in lawn and, <laughs> We um we got pulled into um you know the the <laughs> there was the booze bus had set up and um yeah my brother pulls up next to the policeman and he's got the little machine with the straw in it and he goes yeah just uh get you to do one of these and he gives it to my brother and my brother just just did a huge inhale he just went like this and he was at you know full lung capacity and the cop said uh you actually need you to just breathe out into, into it <laughs> straight back out into the thing and you know he was he, he had a, a blood alcohol level of zero but i think the cop um it was remiss of the cop not to test him for drugs or other things because i was just gonna say he, i know he's a bit vague so he that was just a normal occurrence for him but but i would have instantly busted out the thc test if somebody did that <laughs> Yeah, better means all of it, yeah. but um, but no. So no, I think I think you're right, and and just to that point about, you know, any THC detected, and it's a zero tolerance. Um, that's the same with with all controlled drugs which are tested at the roadside RBTs, and um, you know, the difficulty there is we've seen that there are you know patients who 
get more of a response with their medical cannabis to say a full spectrum product rather than just an isolate in oil. Um, and that typically will contain even trace amounts of THC, um, which, you know, threatens their ability to drive. So um, I think, I think this is a sensible uh, path forward. And I really look forward to seeing those changes get implemented into Victoria um, early this year and um, for the rollout to occur potentially across other states and territories in the years to come. Yeah, and I think um, that will probably bring us to the kind of closing of this podcast. But I, I just wanted to revisit um, one point you made, which I, I'm glad to hear that it is actually legal to drive on CBD because I, I didn't actually know that. Yeah, my research tells me that minor cannabinoids that aren't psychoactive I mean, for starters, they're not tested for. So they don't form part of the roadside testing um, that occurs. Um, But my understanding is they are legal. I mean, there's, I I think there is research that's on foot to determine how um, CBD impairs driving if if, it does at all. Um, Theoretically, there is there might be an argument to say that it has some kind of sedative effect. Mm. Uh, you know, it's certainly in, in, in the physical sense, but um, maybe not in as much of a cognitive sense. Um, yeah, yeah. Look, that, that was um, just where I'd gotten up to reading articles from um, professors. Uh, it was professor, uh, Dr. Amy Haley um, from Swinburne, who's someone who would actually be great to talk to on this, but um yeah, she published a great piece in the conversation um, that alluded to CBD being legal for driving. Um, so look, she'd be, yeah, her, or we'd, we'll have to get someone on for a part two of this discussion um, to really uh, discuss in, in greater detail with, with somebody who actually understands the science, um, how cannabis and other substances, including you know, those legal ones that we were referring to, uh, other legal ones we were referring to, um, like opioids and, and benzos, how they impact driving, because I'm sure they all act in their own nuanced way in, in terms of interaction with driving performance. Well, I know that medicinal cannabis, um, the Centre for Medicinal Cannabis Research and Innovation in New South Wales um, stipulates that patients can actually take cannabidiol-only medicine as long as they're not impaired. So I, I do know that that view is held in some parts, but I... I I didn't know that it was maybe kind of nationwide, um, but it, it seems it doesn't seem unreasonable um, given what we do currently know about it. But mm. yeah, it'd be interesting to see that whole space develop, especially um, as you know the primary kind of cause for concern THC um, starts becoming more uh, regulated, deregulated. Not sure. <laughs> I'll say regulated, um, but yeah, we'll. So we'll put a full stop on this for now, but it's, you know, this will, this will be our driving episode part one um, with more to come as, as the law develops and as we can convince a scientist to come join us for, um, for an informal chat to, to perhaps fill in some of the gaps that we've left. We'll have to get our uh, charming boots on. <laughs> I'll let you lead that one. Okay, thanks, mate. You wouldn't you wouldn't do so well anyway. So that's right. <laughs> um, excellent. Well, I think this was a great chat. Yep. As always, thanks, Mitch. We'll um, yeah pick things back up for another episode of Alt Med 
next time. Thanks so much for your time. Cheers. Cheers.